Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. With that being said, can you stand to your feet today? And uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the Word. We're in this series called First Fruits. Somebody say First Fruits. And let's not complicate it. The whole idea of this series is this. We're talking about putting God first. We're talking about putting God first, not just in our finances, but also in our personal life, in every area of our lives. That Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior, but he wants to be Lord. And it's been said before like this, that if he isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But who knows that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. A familiar passage of scripture. The last book of the Old Testament written right here um, by by the prophet Malachi. And some of you you may have gotten tense whenever I said go to this passage of scripture because it's well known by many. But I believe that there are some principles that we can take out of here and apply to our lives today. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. And it's right before Matthew, by the way. So if you want to get to it in your Bible, go to Matthew, first gospel. Boom, right before that, Malachi. It says this, for I am the Lord. I do not change. Can we just thank God that he doesn't change? I don't think anybody else or any one of us could write that right there. Only God could write that. He said, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. So he's writing to the nation of Israel right here. Yet from the days of of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances, or in other words, my commandments, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. It reminds me of in the New Testament. Whenever it's God said, when you draw near to God, I'll draw near to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. This is God talking right here through the prophet Malachi. But you say, in what way have, you ro- what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this. Because part of the system that God had set up, we're going to get into it more, was this was how the house of God or the the priests within the tabernacle or temple were able to continue their ministry because people brought in their crops and produce, brought it into the storehouse, but also it was given to those in need as well. And he continues to say, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this. Other translations say test me in this, which this is the only verse in the Bible where God says test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit, somebody say fruit, of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit For you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I want to talk about this today, the four R's of first fruits. The four R's of first fruits. We're going to get into it more. Let's just go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for today. God, we place our faith and our trust and hope in who you are that you do not change, that you are not a man that you should lie, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we just thank you, Lord, for changing hearts, God, changing minds, changing lives, God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, and somebody said, amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and put your hands together for the Lord one more time. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. One thing we like to say is here at Riverside Church is don't just take what we have to save you know, for it, like we just read God's word and I like to tell people like, hey, if, if anything I say is good, it's God's word, but take what you hear here, do a study on your own, see what God's word says because God can speak to you and uh, we just want to encourage and build some of you up today or all of you up 
That's why we gather here. Um, I like to say it like this. It's not a place where we prepare uh, to, to escape the world, but it's a place where we prepare to go out into the world. Because every one of you have a ministry. God has a ministry for every one of you, whether that be at home, with your family, on the job. You know, people have asked me before. They've asked me this. They said, so are you part-time or are you full-time into ministry? And I kind of got sick of being asked that because I've always been bivocational. I've always had another job or responsibility. I worked years in HVAC and those addicts and everything and worked in marketing and the dealership industry as well. And so now I respond like this when they, people ask me, are you part-time or are you full-time? I say, I'm full life, baby. I'm full life. Because why do we restrict ministry to a microphone or when you clock in or when you clock out of the church or whatever? But, but no, I believe that wherever God has called me, God has called me to be a minister, just like God has called you to be a minister and to make a difference in whatever sphere of influence that you are in. Amen? And I'm just happy just to announce this and mention this. So this past year, I felt strongly led in prayer to, to get into real estate, to look into becoming a real estate agent. So as I looked into it, I felt God impress it on my heart. I didn't tell anybody. Somebody out of the blue, and this is how I know that God just begins to move, move right? Because where God guides, he provides. <laughs> and out of nowhere, someone reached out to me about a month after I felt that in prayer and said, I know this is random, but I felt led and I felt like God put on my heart that, that you would do great at real estate. So I want to go ahead and pay for your education for you to get your real estate license. And this past week, I passed my final exams to become a real estate agent. And I'm so thankful and grateful for that. I still have some more things to do before I can get into practice, but God is so faithful, amen? He's so good. And I learned a lot of different things, y'all, in the studies for that, you know, they have a 180 course requirement and then some other final preparatory exam things to prepare you for everything. So 200 plus hours. But one of the things that I learned within my studies was this, the importance of contracts. In other words, be careful when you sign your name and put your signature. Make sure that you read the fine print because uh, contracts are important, right? And I learned about what makes a contract enforceable, but also valid, or, or you could say voidable or unenforceable at times. I learned about two different types of contracts, one called a unilateral contract and one called a bilateral contract. And in the unilateral, unilateral contract, only one side or one party has the obligation to perform in a specific way. But in a bilateral contract, both parties have a responsibility on both their ends to perform in a certain way in order to see the contract fully executed. And if one party breaks the contract, or you say breaches the contract, then they are considered in default. And I just find it interesting whenever you begin to read the word of God, and you begin to study scripture from the Old Testament, even up until the New Testament, you will see God, an eternal, everlasting God, make what seems like contracts, or you could say covenants with men time and time again. And who knows that God, he doesn't change. God always keeps his end of the bargain. If God said it, he will fulfill it. The scripture says like this, that his promises are yes, are yea, and amen. But who knows where the problem lies with us? The human condition. Humanity is the one that has a problem. I, I like to say like this, that God is the covenant maker. Man is the covenant breaker. And that's why you see in the Old Testament in particular, in the book of Judges, in the book of Kings, you see it time and time again. You see this cycle of captivity take place in the nation of Israel where they're free and they're doing good at one point. But then they turn away from God 
They turn away from the commandments and covenant that God had made with them, and they go from being free and being blessed to being enslaved and being under oppression, and it's almost like every time God has to give them another spanking and remind them why they have what they have and who they are, because the scripture says that God chastises, in other words, he corrects those that he loves. Has anybody ever experienced the correction of God before? From Abba, Father, right, where, where you get correct. I'm thankful the, for the correction of God because this is what I've learned. God's correction is protection. It's protection. God knows what's best. What makes us think that we know better than God? So as long as they stuck to the commandments of God and the Mosaic law, they experienced freedom, blessings, prosperity. But when they turned away from God, they experienced bondage. They experienced oppression. And the book of Malachi is a great example of this because Malachi, get this, he is the last prophet that wrote in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the last book before the New Testament. And get this, there's actually four, there's a 400-year gap from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew. It is known as the 400 years of silence. That's what they call it. From Malachi to Matthew where God doesn't speak through a prophet or underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But then we see this voice from the wilderness come out. And he's actually mentioned in the book of Malachi. Malachi, I believe, chapter 4, talks about this voice that would come and prepare the way, prophesying, speaking 400 years beforehand about John the Baptist ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. But this is where we find the nation of Israel in the book of Malachi. They have been released, and they are free from Babylonian captivity and oppression. A Persian king rose up, and he released them to go back. This is about 100 years afterward. And what has happened now is that God's allowed them and provided the resources through the kings to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the tabernacle. And this right here, the tabernacle or the temple, this was the epicenter of Israel, of Jerusalem. This is where humanity would connect with divinity. This is where the priests would go in into the presence of God. This is where the, the ordinances and, and commandments that God had set can be fulfilled. This is where the atonement for their sins would take place. So this was a very important place to God, and it was supposed to be an important place to the people. However, Malachi, God uses Malachi, his name, get this, in the Hebrew means this, messenger. God uses Malachi as a messenger to remind and really give a warning to the people of Israel. And he warns them about a number of different things. One of those being, he encourages the priest, or you could say the pastors, to stop dropping the ball and to fulfill the responsibilities. Then he talks to the people, God speaking through him, and he addresses their half-hearted sacrifices that they would bring to God, also the improper marriages that were taking place. And the next the thing he mentions is this. He addresses the tithes and offerings that they weren't bringing or fulfilling to do. Why? Because all of this, all these things were part of the covenant that God made with Moses that we see in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Leviticus, what we see God bringing them out and in the book of Exodus. See, we see this in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 to 32. Check this out. It says, and all the tithe, and this shouldn't scare us or anything. What this word means in the Hebrew is this, a tenth or 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, it's set apart for God. If a man wants at all to redeem, can somebody say redeem? What this word redeem means is this. It means to buy back. It means to cover. To, and at times, even for there to be an exchange for the rest to be covered and be blessed. It says this, any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. In other words, if these people, this was important to God, that he said even if they were late, on bringing their tithe of the produce of the field or the fruits of the tree, that they would have to pay it back 
plus extra right here, it says. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, so not only when it came to the fruits and vegetables, but also when it came to the livestock, they gave a tithe of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy to the Lord. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Two more scriptures. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5 through 6 says, As soon as the commandment was circulated, what commandment? Hey, bring the tithes, bring the offerings. It says the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits. Can somebody say first fruits? Of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children, somebody say everything. So it was everything. They said, and the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep and also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says it like this. Honor the Lord. And this is King Solomon who wrote this right here. This was a familiar thing for people to do. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So God established the system of worship for the nation of Israel to bring a tithe and also an offering of whatever first fruits, crops, and livestock they produced to the house of God in order to fund what God wanted to do through the people and also to support the ministry as well. And this took faith, y'all. You know why this took faith? Because as they took the first fruits, or even at times firstborn, they had to place enough faith in God that as they gave of the first fruits, they didn't know how the rest of the crop was going to look like. They didn't know what the entire year was going to look like, but they said, you know what? We're going to honor God and put him first, and we know that God will take care of us. And, and I think it, I find it pretty interesting Because God said it like this. He said, by doing so, I will bless you, and the nations that are surrounding you will call you blessed. I I find that interesting for for a number of different reasons. One of those reasons being is is this. It's because the nation of Israel were called to be different from the nations that were surrounding them. God told them. He said, you are my people. You are my remnant. I'm going to use you to be a blessing also to the nations. Therefore, don't do this. Don't do that. That's why you find all these different commandments. Why? Because they were literally surrounded by false god idolatry worship. And God said, don't pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Honor me and put me first And when people look at you, they will see something different, and they will call you blessed. And get this, God said, bring me a tenth, and even more as they gave offerings and stuff. How does that make sense that they would have more and be more blessed whenever they have what seems like less? This is what I've realized, that God can do much more with less than what we can do alone with much. That I would much rather trust God with the 90 than to trust myself with the 100. (laughs) And God was using this right here for their people as a part of worship and a way of putting him first. And so that way, whenever people begin to see this nation blessed, guess who was supposed to get the glory from it? Not themselves. And by the way, don't be afraid of being seen as weird by the world. You know, the scripture says that we are a holy nation, a chosen generation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests that I'm not telling you to be weird, like be purposely weird, anything like that, right? But don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, And when God begins to do a work in your life and you begin to bear fruit in your life in whatever way that may look like, by the way that you love, by the way that you forgive, by the way that that, that God blesses you, whatever it may be, it's not so that way you can tell everybody, man, look what I've done, look what what I can do. It's not about 
us. It's all about bringing glory to Jesus, the name of Jesus. You weren't called to receive glory. (laughs) See, that's a problem with humanity, right? We want to receive glory. I've heard it said before, what gets men tripped up is this. Gold, (laughs) girls, and glory. (laughs) I heard somebody say, that's what trips up men. One of those three things, men, they they want to receive humanity. I don't care, man, we want to receive the glory. But let me tell you, when you begin to receive the glory unto yourself, you can't be underneath the weight of that glory. But guess what you were called to do? Not to receive it, but you were called to reflect it. So pride doesn't enter in. Why? Because pride comes before the fall. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Come on, does anybody believe this or receive this today? So this was such an important thing to God right here that we find in Malachi chapter 3 to the nation of Israel that he says this. He says in Malachi 3 to Israel, he says that if you don't bring them, you're a thief. You're cursed with a curse. You will not produce fruit the way you need to. But he also said, if you return it to me, I will return to you. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. And God had so much confidence into what he was saying to the nation of Israel. He said this. He said, test me in this. So if I was the nation of Israel, right, seems like a pretty obvious choice. I can either keep it and hoard it to myself, and the locust, the devourer, the worms will come in and mess it up, or I can honor God with, with this, and guess what? We know that we will have more than enough. Now, I understand this as well. We are not underneath the Mosaic Covenant, nor are we underneath the law either. That we're underneath grace. Anybody thankful for the grace of God? And this is what the grace of God is. You ready? The grace of God. See, the law demands, but grace supplies. The law says do, do, do. (laughs) Don't laugh. The grace says done, done, done. Through Christ, Jesus fulfilled the law. It all points to Christ and all those different things. But can I also tell you this, that the principle of putting and keeping God first still remains. That God deserves and he desires to be first. And that's why he set these things in motion for them even before the law we see this take place. And even today, and even in the book of Acts in the early church, God has always desired to be first and to be number one. And here's the thing. It's for your benefit and for your betterment. See, See, it, when, when the nation of Israel was, was doing that and they weren't giving it to God, they weren't really robbing God as much as they were robbing themselves. Let me tell you, when you, put, when you don't put God first, you're not really robbing from God as much as we are robbing from ourselves. Because let me remind you and tell you today, God doesn't need our money. Let me go a step further. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God is everlasting. God is eternal. God is self-sufficient. We don't believe anybody created God. We believe that God has been, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? But why does he want us? He, He desires to be in relationship with us, and he desires our hearts, and it just so happens that our hearts are tied to our treasure, to our time, to our talent, and to the things of this world. So more than anything else, God is after our heart. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, 33. He said this. He said, to seek first. Somebody say first. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. Oh, come on. I wish we would get one amen from that. Those letters are in red. (laughs) In other words, don't complicate it. Don't overthink it. Just keep God first and see what God will begin to do. Because let me tell you, when God is first, things will begin to get in order. When God is first, things fall into order. Does that mean you won't face tribulations, trials, attacks, this or that? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. 
In fact, Jesus ensured that you would face trial, you would face tribulation, that you would face difficulties at times, that you would face resistance. But I don't know about you, I would much rather go through life and go through trials with God being first rather than him not to be first and things always be out of order. This isn't just about money. This is about our relationships. This is about our responsibilities. This is about our time. This is about our treasure. This can fall into everything because God even said, I want the tithe of everything to the nation of Israel. In other words, God wants to be first place in all of our lives as well. He cares about it. Why do you think God doesn't care about it? He cares about it, and he loves you. He said, don't be like the pagans and and, and worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear, for they worry about these things. But your heavenly Father knows what you need. God knows what you need before you even ask him. We just got to keep him first. Here's the point I want to give you today. It's this. When we don't put God first, we are robbing ourselves. Before we get into the four R's, that when we don't put God first, we are robbing ourselves. Once again, for the nation of Israel, God said that as they did that, they would rob him. But reality was they weren't really robbing God as much as they were robbing themselves. Opportunities for God to bless them. And once again, it's not that God needs it, needs us. It's he wants our heart. He desires our heart, and God deserves to be be first. Here's how I know that many of you in this place desire to put God first in your life. Because of where you're at right now, the first day of the week, Sunday, you decided, I'm getting up. Some of you may have been a battle. (laughs) May have been a challenge getting those kids ready. But you said, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to honor God and put him first. We're going to spend time in worship The book of Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. We're going to honor God and put him first. But let me tell you, God wants to push past that to where every day, especially during this fast, through your daily devotion, you are putting him first. See, it's not just about resisting the sugar or resisting certain forms of entertainment. It's about replacing that with God's word, with God's presence, with, with time spent. And with. let me tell you, time spent with God is never time wasted. It's never time, and if God doesn't change what's happening around you, it's because he wants to change what's happening on the inside of you. Because when you spend time in the presence of God, and during this time of fasting, as we draw near to God and get closer to God and say, God, I I, I just want you, God. I, I don't care about anything else. I just want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and I know that you're going to take care of everything else. I want to put you first. But here's the thing, God doesn't just want to be first in our time. He also wants to be first in our treasure. Jesus said it like this. He said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's all about the heart. He's after our heart. I love it too because in that same scripture, he said it like this. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy them, where thieves can break in and steal, but rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy them, when thieves will not break in and steal, because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is after hearts, because let me remind you, I know we can get so caught up with this life and the things of this world, Eternity is closer than we realize. The scripture says that life is just a vapor. It's here one day, and it's gone the next. Do we have any wise people? I don't say elderly, but I say wise people. That, like, come on. I don't want to put a number on it because I don't want to offend nobody. That can honestly say, man, time, where in the world has time gone, right? It doesn't stop. And is it possible that we can spend our entire lives pursuing and sowing, even at times, into vain things that won't last forever and neglecting and forgetting that God said, 
don't just store up for yourself treasures here on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, there's a reward waiting for you on the other side. I don't know what that reward is. I can't say for sure. I don't know what it's all going to look like. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. (laughs) I don't know what it is. But let me tell you, there's a reward. Oh, let me go a step further. I feel this. But what is your reason? Because your reason for what you are doing and for what you are sowing determines your reward. If you are saying to yourself, well, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to raise my hands and worship. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because I want to be seen by man. I want to get the acknowledgement from man. I want to put on this facade and this hypocrisy of what I perceive myself to be in a public setting, but then in private, I'm not, or at home. Let me tell you, and you say to yourself, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to, whoo, I'm going to get tons of rewards. It's possible to even stand before the Lord one day, even on the day of judgment, because they talk about the great right throne judgment, the other judgment too that talks about And it's possible to be like, okay, God, I did all these things. And God be like, that's great. But your reward wasn't here. Your Your reward, you got it down there. Because the reason and the heart behind it. Why? Because it all goes back to the heart. And God is not mocked. God is not mocked, he said. He said, whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. That's the law of the harvest. (laughs) Like, I'm thankful for the laws of nature that God has established. You're experiencing one of the laws that God has established just by sitting down right now. You know why? Gravity. (laughs) The law of gravity, that whatever comes up must come down. Gravitational pull that God has set in motion. If anybody doesn't believe it, go jump off something. Don't do it. I'm just kidding. And you'll quickly experience or one of the laws of thermodynamics, they say it like this, that what everything in the universe is wearing away, breaking down, and will eventually be turned to dust. It will be destroyed. But then God said, that's what, that's what the scripture said, right? On earth, in this realm, during this time. But for eternity, guess what? These things, it's going to be eternal. It's going to be everlasting for you and your family. And God also set up another law, and it was this, the law of the harvest. And guess what? We even find this in the New Testament. We find giving being talked about in the New Testament and putting God first in the New Testament. Because in in the book of, let me find it right here. Is this helping somebody out today? I pray it is today. We're just having a conversation. We want to help you. Put God first and your relationship and your treasure. See what God will begin to do. And God is speaking to some of you right now. I can't tell you exactly what that is going to look like and how to do it. But as the spirit of God leads you, do it. If your flesh feels offended or something, that's a good thing. Because you're called to be challenged. Because if you're not challenged, you won't be changed. God is not mocked. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8 And 10 through 11 says it like this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the early church, the church in Corinth. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Let me remind you and tell you that the Apostle Paul is not just writing to farmers. (laughs) He's talking about the principle of the law of the harvest. He said, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. In other words, whether in this life or the life to come. And he says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Oh, man, this is the New Testament right here, too, y'all. So in other words, I I think tithing is a great template. But let me tell you, the goal is not just to tithe. It's to live a generous life. That's what Billy Graham said. He said it's a great template, but setting time to say, God, I want to be a blessing. Do you have room in your budget to be a blessing to other people as well? 
Of course, we support the ministry. We're getting ready for the first fruits offering, all these things. But to be a blessing, some people say, you know, I'll be a blessing and I'll be generous. Because as a born-again believer, I believe it should be in our DNA to be generous, to be a reflection of who our God is. Why? Because John 3, 16, what did God do? He said, for God so what loved the world that he gave. He gave. It's in our DNA. We are made in his image to give in whatever way that may look like, whether by serving, showing love, giving, being a blessing. Some people say, you know, whenever I get that million-dollar check, (laughs) I'm going to be generous. But if you don't take the time to be generous with $1,000 a month, I'm talking about if you make that much or $10,000 a month, and you take a portion and say, God, I'm going to take this portion of that and be generous, what makes you think that you're going to, be generous with that. When you're faithful with little, God will bring in more at times. And here's the thing, too, because I'm not saying this is not one of those churches where we say, give $100, you'll get back $1,000. We, we, don't, we don't believe that. We don't preach that. We don't, we don't preach the prosperity gospel. Or also, they have the other side of the poverty gospel. Well, you got to live in a hut. <laughs> you can't. You got to ride your bike. Pastor Bobby, by the way, did that for over a year whenever he blessed me with his car. Drove a bike around town. He wasn't getting exercise. He was riding a bike around town. Another story about that, too, because, man, I forgot where I was even at right there, to be honest, y'all. <laughs> but we preach, we believe in the provisional, that my God shall supply and meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It is the law of the harvest. Don't think just because you sow a seed. When's the last time you sow a seed, unless you're a bad farmer and you get back just the seed? It shows up in a different way. Fruit is produced. When you sow something, guess what? It may show up in another way, but God is not mocked. Whatever a man or woman sows, that they shall reap. Come on, anybody thankful for that today? I'm all over. I'm not even in my notes. I don't even know where I'm at right now. Thank you, Jesus. Put him first. This life is too short. When we don't put God first, we're really robbing ourselves. Let's get into the four R's of first fruits. I got to go over these real quick. I want to encourage somebody, step out of your comfort zone as God begins to lead you and guide you. Nobody can make you or force you. The scripture says don't give grudgingly because if we give with a heart grudgingly, there's no reward in that. But when we give with a cheerful heart, and it may take time. I'm getting ahead of myself right now. But God wants to change the heart. The four R's of first fruits is this. That when we put God first, I believe. In other words, these are things that I believe God wants to do in your life as you honor him and put him first. First one is this, God can redeem the rest, or he redeems the rest. Feel free to write that down. Once again, this word redeem, it means to buy back, or to give something in order for the rest to be blessed. And this is exactly what the nation of Israel did. We find this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 12, because they would give of the first fruits, but they would also give of the firstborn. And check this out. It says in Exodus 13, verse 12 through 13, it says, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem it with a lamb. So get this, the donkey was considered an unclean animal. And God said, if you want to redeem that donkey, for it to be blessed in order for it to live, you got to lay down the life of a clean animal, which was a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, so if you don't do it, then you shall break its neck. Now, you may be saying, that sounds odd, and I doubt there's many people in here that have donkeys and lambs. But let me tell you something right here. This is more relevant to us than we realize, because you do know this is, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did, right? This is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and he did for I. Why? Because the scripture calls him the lamb slaughtered on the foundations of the earth. He is known as the spotless, pure, 
perfect, sinless lamb of the most high God. And he laid down his life for impure, clean, dirty, sinful people like you and I. The scripture says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before there was a guarantee that you would turn and give your heart and your life to him. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were on the way to hell, while we had no hope, he who knew no sin became sin. So that way you can become the righteousness of God and become clean. And the scripture actually says that he became a curse. He became a curse and he hung up on a tree. So that way you could be redeemed. So you could be saved. He didn't come to give you what you deserve. He came to give you what he deserves. And he laid down his life and he has redeemed you. And that's why the scripture calls him in the New Testament. Christ is called this. He is known as the first fruits and the firstborn. He's the first fruits and the firstborn. Why? Because for them, the principle was this. We're laying down this part of the harvest. We're laying down this animal so the rest can be redeemed. And we get upset and angry when God calls us to give and to be a blessing. Whenever God gave his all for us. Are you kidding me? That's the least I could do is give God my all. That's the least you could do is to put God first. The book of Romans just says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that which is holy and acceptable and pleasing unto God, which says is your reasonable service. Reasonable service, saying, God, you went all in for me. I'm going to go all in for you. Could that same principle also be applied to other things in our life? When we say, God, I'm putting you first in this area. I'm putting you first in my marriage. I'm putting you first in my family. I'm putting you first in my finances. And I don't care what else happens. I believe by faith that as I put you first, that you will bless the rest, that you will take care. God, because I'm putting you first in my life. Because our God redeems. He redeems. Somebody say he redeems. I got more scripture for this, but we got to move on. To the next one. The next one is this. I believe that as we put God first, he's able, he can rebuke or rebukes the devourer. Now, I don't want to take the scripture all out of context and everything because, you know, in in Malachi chapter 3, the devourer was the worms and the locust that would devour the field. Because to be a farmer back then, if you're a farmer... (laughs) And you see this black cloud coming at you, you better pray. Especially in that, 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 they pl- that place they lived in. Why? Because all it would take was one swarm of locusts to completely destroy and eradicate their harvest and all those things taking place. But God said this. He said, when you put me first, I rebuke the devourer for your sake. I think kind of in a similar way that many of us, we have devourers in our lives. Now, whenever, whenever I talk about this, you may be thinking, I'm talking about the devil. Because I know First Peter says it like this, you know, the enemy goes to and fro, seeking for who he can devour. The scripture says that. But I think the greatest devourer of all is ourselves. Go look at a mirror. Take a selfie right now. We're the greatest devourer of all. When we don't put God first, we put God last, we will devour and begin to destroy what God wants to begin to do in our hearts and in our lives. I'm reminded of the, the rich young ruler that, that Jesus confronted, or really the rich young ruler confronted him. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Those are like the three things everybody strives for. I want to be rich, I want to look good, and I want to have authority. He had all those things, and he still went to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, 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 what do I have to do. And then Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. In other words, you're calling me a good teacher. You're saying, what do I have to do to to inherit eternal life? Not realizing he was equating himself with God at that point. He said, you are looking at the way, the truth, the life. It's right here standing in front of you. But the man said, he said, what can I do? He said, "I've, I've been good. I've kept the law. 
I've been faithful. I haven't, I haven't bore false witness and all these. What do I need to do? So it's almost like Jesus said, okay, you want to play this game? <laughs> See how you can earn it by your own good works? Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and follow after me. Similar to how he called the disciples to follow after him, he said, come and follow after me. But the scripture says that he had many possessions. He didn't do it, and he walked away bitterly. In other words, his possessions possessed him. That in the process of his greed and stinginess, he robbed himself and devoured what God wanted to do in his life to follow after Jesus. Can you imagine following after Jesus, seeing the miracles, seeing the signs, seeing the wonders, seeing all these amazing things take place, but he said, no, 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 that's too much. He had a closed hand. Question, do you have a closed hand or do you have an open hand? Because it's going to be hard for God to bless you or do something when you have a closed hand because how hard would it be for me to grip onto something with a closed hand? How am I going to give it? It's about having an open hand and say, God, whatever you want to lead me to give, I'll give. But also, but in the process, I know that whatever you want to bless me with, you'll bless me with, but it doesn't belong to me. I'm not in ownership. I'm in stewardship. And God knows when he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. I'm spitting all the one-liners right here right now to help somebody out. Don't be the devourer. Don't, don't, because that's what the enemy wants to do in your relationships. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will use our flesh and our tendencies and our selfishness, but I believe it's possible with the help of the Lord to set boundaries on our own flesh, to crucify our flesh, to set boundaries on the enemy, to close those things that may have been open. Because when an enemy, when a thief comes in, they're looking for openings. They're looking for gaps. <laughs> and we don't want to help them, right? We, don't, we need to make sure, say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm not going to give no room for the enemy. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to mess it up myself. We rebuke the devourer in Jesus' name. Come on, anybody believe that today? Next one is this, restores the time. Worship team, y'all go ahead and join me. We're coming to a close. I love this right here. I believe that when you honor God and put him first, that God is able to restore the time. Because let me tell you, time is one of the most valuable commodities that there is. Like, I can count to five right now. One. Two, three, four, five. Guess what? You're never getting those five seconds again. I wasted five seconds of your life counting to five, and I'm wasting probably 10 or 15 talking about how I counted to five. See how those things go? It's gone. That's how, and many people, they, some people that even have all the money in the world, they want more time. Time is valuable. And we, we can't produce our own time ourselves. Yes, we can delegate, we can manage, but guess what? God has the ability to restore time. Let me give you an example. The nation of Israel, don't have time to get all into it, but the nation of Israel, they find themselves in Egyptian captivity and slavery 400 years. Meanwhile, God promised their father, Abraham, he said, I have a land for you, a land for you and for your descendants, I will make you into a great nation. But then we know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob comes to Egypt because of the famine in the land. Leaves that, the land of Canaan, that area that God had promised. And as he comes there, Joseph, second in command of Egypt, he allows them in to take care of them. The nation of Israel just goes from this tribe or this family to just millions of people. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, in the promised land, in the, in the land of Canaan, guess what? Other nations rose up. They had the land. And they began to build their civilization, their houses, their wells, their crops, their vineyards. And then meanwhile, God's people are over here. They get enslaved by the Egyptians. And they're building another completely different empire whenever God said, I have this place for you. But during that whole time, God was preparing the way for them to come because whenever God brought them out of Egyptian captivity and slavery and he brought them into the promised land, he said this. He said, I will give you houses you didn't build. 
Vineyards you didn't plant and wells you didn't dig. And it was, I'm going to bless you. Can you imagine all the time, hundreds of years, in one moment, God said, look what I can do. Because you do know, God can do more in one moment than what would take you a lifetime in order to achieve. Oh, yeah, you may be having some marital issues and marital stress, and people have told you it's going to be a journey. It's going to be rough. Yeah, it may be a journey, and it may be rough. But don't believe the lie and say, you know what? It's going to take decades and years to, to heal of this heartache, and it's going to take time. Why? Because time heals, but God heals. And God can restore, and God can redeem, and God can touch, and God can make new. You know, they say it like this, time is money, <laughs> right? Going back to my vehicle, you know, my dad, whenever my, my vehicle got ran into, and the other person was at fault and was destroyed, my dad blessed me with his truck. And he didn't have a vehicle. I tried to refuse. I said, I'm not taking your car. He said, no, son, I want you to take it. The Lord put this on my heart to bless you with it. It's okay. Because you know what he said? He said, son, don't worry about me. I've been living for the Lord too long. I know that he, he will take care of me as I put him first and I'm obedient. This past year, y'all, somebody blessed me. I had a relative bless me with a 2018 Chevy Silverado paid off four-door crew cab, paid off. I was able to give the truck back to my dad, blessed me with it. And you know what I thought in that moment? I said, God, you just saved me five years of payments. <laughs> God, you just, you, why? Because you have the ability to restore the time. Joel 2 says like this, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And he continues to say, because they had experienced famine and devastation. He said, I will restore to you the years. God can restore the time. Last one we got to get into is this. I got to go through it quick. That when we put God first, he wants to recalibrate our hearts. He wants to recalibrate. Because you know the scripture says that the human heart is so deceitful. It's the most deceitful thing. Our, our hearts, our desires, our feelings, our emotions, it will lie to you. It will mislead you. Our, those things are not good leaders. <laughs> the scripture says we have to incline our hearts towards God. The scripture says in the book of Ezekiel that he wants to take our heart of stone and give us a new heart, a new heart of flesh. And it's got to be recalibrated every day, every week. It's got to. It's, it's, it's not a George Foreman grill where you can set it and forget it. It's not a one-time thing. It doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over time for God to change your heart. That's why me and my wife, we decided with our finances, we, 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 we set this portion aside to honor God. In our relationship in the morning, we, we set this time aside to honor God, because it's not about those things. It's not about things. It's not about stuff. It's all about giving our heart to the Lord, saying, God, you gave your all for me. I'm going to give my all to you, because he wants to recalibrate and change you from the inside out, but we have to be willing to surrender our hearts and our life to him, because once again, this life is so short, because God has a way. Man, God has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? Just when you think you have it all figured out, just when you think you have everything going for you, or just, and you become self-sufficient, self-reliant, so I'm, you know, I, I think I'm good without God, you know, whatever. Don't forget, God has blessed you. See, God has a way of putting things in perspectives at times. I'm not saying God caused every bad thing. I'm not saying that, but he can use it. May not have caught, I won't forget this one time, y'all. It's happened this past year, actually. Me and my wife, we went to a church conference, and we were there for about four or five days in Houston. And when we were there, I was asked to preach at one of the sessions, one of the panels. I had my, my family with me. We, we go to this conference every year. 
And uh, I also took my Nintendo Switch because my little brother was with me and played some Mario Kart. <laughs> so I had all these things. I packed up different outfits. I, you know, if any people have called me Mary Poppins before because I would just pack it up. It's like, how'd you fit all of that in there? And the last day of the conference, whenever we were about to head back home, we stopped to eat breakfast at, at this place. And whenever we walked outside after breakfast, I won't forget, we saw the, this black, the black glass of my wife's car on the floor. We had all of our luggage, all of our stuff. Within, I had my iPad in there. I had different electronics, different things that were in there. Our vehicle was broken into. No cameras, no surveillance, should have parked in a better spot. <laughs> Took all those things. And we were kind of devastated in that moment. I was like, man, God, we're here at a church conference. I'm preaching the gospel. Look what happened. Do you want to know the one thing that they left behind? You have that picture real quick? The one thing that was left behind, other than the car vacuum that they didn't want, apparently, right next to that, you can tell it's my wife's because it's pink. Everything's pink. Pink Bible, pink devotion. In fact, it was in her bag. So they must have went through her bag, saw that, maybe felt the fear of the Lord for a second, not enough to completely stop. <laughs> threw it on the chair, threw it on the seat, ran off. And I saw that right there, and I was like, man, God, thousands of dollars of stuff gone. And I had a moment right there with my wife, because we were just in the parking lot, just feeling, we went back home, and, and we were in our bed, you just feel just, just your privacy, and all those things, and, but at the same time, I felt like God just reminded me in that moment, all these things that we hold near, and dear, will one day pass away, be stolen, like Jesus said, rust, be at a garage sale, or goodwill, <laughs> but I am the one, I am the Lord. I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, forever. So I took my wife's hand and we prayed in that parking lot. We waited for two, nearly two hours. No officer showed up. We filed the report on the thing, but I took my wife's hand. I said, honey, whatever the enemy meant for evil, I believe God can use it for good. I'm not blaming this on the devil, but this is a reminder for me and you. Rich, poor, much less, I don't care what it is, as long as we have Jesus. As, all, as long as I have God in my heart, I, I have everything that I need. See, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in, in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He was not talking about winning your high school basketball game. He was talking about, he said right before that, he said, I've, I've been hungry and I've had plenty. I've been cold, I've been warm, I've had much, I've had little, but I've learned the secret of contentment, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm not living for just this life. I have an eternal perspective. My eyes are on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of my faith. I will reap what I sow. I am a child of God, a royal nation, a holy says life is just a vapor. Where are you sowing? You sow where you go. <laughs> Let's let God change our heart. When we don't put God first, we're really robbing for ourselves. God has a plan for you. He loves you. He's real. I've seen God do incredible things. We don't have time to get all into it. I've already went over but he, he's so good. Can we just go ahead and just pray right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. God, I just thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, I pray right now over every heart and heart. I, I thank you, Lord, we will not let greed grip us. God, we are not in ownership. We are in stewardship, God. I just pray right now, Jesus, over every person, God. Maybe right now you're in this moment. You haven't given your heart to Jesus. We want you to make this prayer and declaration. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life, God. I believe in who you are. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose. I make you Lord over my life. I love you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, God, over every person, Lord, here in this place, God. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing deep down in every one of our hearts. 
that we will be led by you, we will be guided by you in every step and decision. God, I pray over every husband and wife, over every son and daughter. God, pray right now over every business owner, God, over every employee, God, manager, Jesus. We pray right now, God, that you'd begin to move, God, that favor, God, that favor would surround them as a shield, God, that there would be a hedge of protection around them, God, that you are redeeming, that you are restoring, that you are rebuking, and more importantly, you are recalibrating our hearts, God, because that's what you want. You want our hearts, and we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and somebody said amen, amen, amen. Before we leave this place, can we begin to worship? Can we begin to sing it out? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.